All right, so James chapter 5. Today we're going to look at verses 7 through 12. And this last little section of James 5 is, is the conclusion of the letter. Of the letter. James is wrapping things up. He's, he's written this letter to, to these Christians that are scattered all over the place, these Jewish Christians. He knows that they're doing the best that they can to walk with God. And, and as he's been trying to, to give them some, some heavy challenges and, and a lot of practical ways, um, he saves one for the end here that might actually be the most difficult challenge of them all. All right? Now, it's not like two weeks ago where it's harsh, you know, where we talked about money and James was rough with us in talking about that. This is different. It, it doesn't, it, it's not harsh like that, but it deals with something that most of us struggle with. Most of us. And that particular thing is patience. Would anyone like to confess this morning that they have an issue with patience? Yes, I'm with you on that. Patience. All right. Now, if you were to look up the definition of patience in the dictionary, which I often do when I'm coming across something like this that I just know this is the focus, um, this is what you would find. Here's a dif dictionary definition of patience. Number one, it's an ability or a willingness to suppress restlessness or annoyance when confronted with delay. When something slows you down, when something gets in your way, you have a willingness or ability to suppress all of that annoyance and irritation and stuff that comes up. All right, the, the number two here, it's the quality of being patient, which is bearing of provocation, being provoked, annoyance, misfortune or pain. You're, you're carrying that, you're burying it. Without, listen to this, this is the fun part, without complaint, without loss of temper, irritation, or the like. All right, so that's what patience really is, as the dictionary would describe it. Now, for me, the exercise of patience is a lot of times harder than active work. I would much rather somebody tell me, here's the task you have to do, rather than just be patient. <laughs> I'd rather just go for it in some other job or some uh, issue that I have to tackle and deal with rather than being patient. And here's the thing. Just because I'm waiting, because a lot of times we want to just say patience is waiting. Well, I'll wait. So that means I'm being patient. <laughs> no, no. Just because I'm waiting doesn't actually mean that I'm patient. Okay, um, we can impatiently wait and falsely believe that we have patience. But if you're not suppressing that annoyance and that irritation and all that stuff, are you really being patient? No, you're just waiting <laughs> in, in not a good way, right? And today we're going to learn an important lesson about what true patience can bring about in our spiritual lives. Okay, that's how this is all tied together because James says, listen, I want you to be patient, as we're going to see. You're going to be patient, but there's a reason that you are patient, and there's a result that comes about it. So let's start reading it, okay? So James chapter 5, verse 7. Here's what he says. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it 
until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Now, the, as we've looked through the epistle of James, I've told you from the very beginning, he always wants to give you practical faith things. He's given us a lot of commands. He's given us a lot of orders, a lot of descriptive things that say, hey, you do this, you do that, don't do this, don't do that. Today, the, the big one that we see off the bat is you be patient. Be patient. Now, here's the thing. Like I said, none of us really like to wait. My, my daughters uh, recently have been telling me, uh, reminding me of the fact that as a family, we haven't been to Disneyland in a very long time, a very long time. And when you're 12, as my youngest daughter is, like when I, I mean like a long time, like a decade, kind of a long time. Now, the, the girls are like, come on, Dad, we got to go to Disneyland. We need to do Disneyland. And, and their response is, well, you know, I know it's expensive. And yes, it is. That is one of the issues that comes to mind. But what might surprise them is, it's actually when I think about going to Disneyland and taking my kids to Disneyland, it's not the money that's the very first thing that comes into my mind. It's the waiting. It's the waiting. It's the line from one line to the other line to the other line to waiting and waiting and waiting. When Brooklyn was very small, we took her and she was into um, waiting in line to see the princesses. Okay, this was the worst day of my life. <laughs> like I'm standing around for hours on end to meet a princess. Sorry, I, no offense to the princesses, but that's not what I consider like a good time. I paid money to do that, okay? But th th my point is nobody likes the wait and, and nobody likes the, the lines. Yes, it is expensive, very expensive, but the wait, oh, the wait. But waiting is part of life for everybody. All of us, even those who have far more patience than I do, most people don't want to wait or don't like to wait. But what the Bible tells us is how we wait and how we learn to wait matters. And here, what the Bible calls us to, straight out, twice in there, it says, be patient. You're called to be patient. The Bible calls us to patience. And, and admittedly, like any other gift, some people are born with a lot more patience than other people. Some people are just wired to be a little more patient than other people. But patience is, and, and make note of this if you're taking notes, patience is one of the indicators that the Spirit of God is at work in your life. All right, let me say that again. Patience, ignore the alarm. Patience is one of the indicators that the Spirit of God is at work in your life. Now you might say, well, how, how do you know that? I know that because the Bible tells me so. Listen to Galatians 5.22. Um, you may know this very well, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. It's in that list. One of the, the results of the Holy Spirit at work in your life is that you grow in all these different things, and patience is in that list. God is at work in your heart, and he's bringing about patience in you. We also know as Christians, we're called to be people of love, right? Nobody argues with that. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, love is patient. <laughs> so if we're called to be people of love, we're called to be people that are patient. 
So not only do we have James telling us, be patient, multiple times. Not only do we see that patience is supposed to be the result of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, and we know that we're people of love, and love is patient, all right? We have to be patient. We have to grow in patience. And patience is a posture of our hearts, okay? And, and that's the difference between the waiting and the patience. Because you can wait and not be patient, but to be patient, it's a posture of your heart. It's a choice that we make to hold those negative feelings in check as we're waiting. And to illustrate this, what James does is he talks about farmers. Now, I realize that we live in suburbia, most of us, right? Or maybe you live in urban center, city. We don't know much about farmers, all right? The, the people that, that James wrote to, they, they knew farmers. We know where we get most of our food comes from the grocery store. Where that head of lettuce, that carrot came from, we don't have a clue. I mean, you might try to study it out and figure out, oh, it came from some farm somewhere in some little town that I've never heard of. But, it's, but there's a disconnect between us and farmers for the most part. Some of you may have some background in farming and farmers, but, but for these people, uh, they knew about farming. And here's, especially when you talk about an ancient farmer, all right, back 2,000 years ago when James is writing this, farmers had to wait. They had to wait. They had to wait for the right time to plant. They had to wait for the rain to come. They had to wait for the growth. They had to wait for the harvest. There was lots of hard work and lots of waiting for the life of a farmer. And a farmer learns early on that he has no choice in the matter. Especially back in this day before, you know, electric pumps and things like that that had been invented to figure out elaborate irrigation where you could water your crops whenever it was time to water your crops and uh, with, before all the canals running through to, to service all these farms. Look, once you plant it, you just got to hope that it rains because if it doesn't rain, these plants aren't going to grow and you've got no choice in the matter. You can, you know, do a rain dance and you can try to give offerings to the rain god or whatever, but you've got to wait for the rain or else you're not going to have the crop. But even now, when you think of modern farming and modern farmers, a farmer still has to do his part. He's got to plant the seeds. He's got to irrigate. He's got to fertilize. He's got to deal with pests he's, and all of that. But even with all the modern techniques that we have to try to enhance growth, growth still requires a lot of time and a lot of waiting. And James says it's that sort of long period endurance and patience that we have to develop in our lives. Because our spiritual growth is similar to a farmer's crops. I don't know if you've viewed it that way or thought of it that way, but your spiritual growth is a process. We don't come to maturity overnight. You don't just become a mature Christian. Oh, I, I, I planted the crop and boom, God did it and now I'm this mature Christian and I, I walk with God and I, I, I'm completely changed and I have no struggles with anything of the world anymore. I just go for it. No, we have to grow. And, and James, is, as he's concluding this letter about practical faith, our spiritual growth really comes into focus as he commands us to be patient in the journey. Um, Paul writes about uh, our spiritual growth in a very similar way using this image of, of planting and growing. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6 to 9, here's what Paul says. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. 
So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Our growth, our spiritual growth, is on God's timeline. And Jesus, who is growing us, is patient with us. There's a very interesting little uh, parable that, that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 13 that I've always kind of thought about is it's, it's kind of an outlier. It's sort of a weird parable. Um, but in it, Jesus talks about the patience that he has with us. Because that's one of the problems that we run into as we become Christians. Especially for those of you who the way that you deal with life is you're a go-getter. You're a person that gets it done. And you aren't interested in waiting. And patience, isn't, patience just slows you down. It makes you ineffective, inefficient. Instead, you would rather say, this is what needs to happen. This is how I need to do it. I'm going to put a plan in process and I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it done. And you come to the Lord and you see these things in your own spiritual life that you're like, okay, this needs to be done. This needs to change. I need to make this happen. Boom, here's my plan. And then it doesn't work out or it takes longer. Or you feel like, I should grow in love. I should grow in peace. I should grow in kindness. I should grow in patience. But it's not happening. What's, what's going on? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with God? And we go down this whole spiral of, oh, I'm a mess. And maybe I was never saved. And everything gets all, all turned up upside down. But you have to understand, Jesus, who's growing us, is patient with us. Here's what this parable says. Listen to it. Luke 13 says, and he told this parable, Jesus. And he said, a man had a fig tree. And I'll just tell you, you are the fig tree in this story, all right? And the man who has the fig tree, the owner, is actually God the Father. He says, a man had this fig tree, you, planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, which John chapter 15 says that Jesus is that, that one. He says, look. For three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Now, this is heavy, because what the Father says is, cut it down. Ooh, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> why should it use up the ground? And he, Jesus, answered him, sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it, and it, I, I put on manure, fertilizer. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, then you can cut it down. All right, now that's a hard story for us to see. We look at that and we're like, hoo hoo, is Jesus coming to chop me down? I hope not. But the, the positive part that we see of this is what, what's Jesus saying? He's like, no, no, take your time, be patient. Yeah, we've been waiting for a while with this one. Let's wait a little longer. Let's fertilize, let's do what we need to do. Let's see if that, this, this one can be fruitful. And, and this is part of what we find as we're patiently waiting and we're working with God and allowing him to, to grow us. Because here's the thing that we, we also learn about this and we understand. Spiritual growth and maturity isn't only about patiently waiting. Now when I say that if you want to grow spiritually, I don't say the one thing you have to do is be patient. Because if that was the way it worked, then whoever is the oldest among us would always be the most spiritually mature. Right? Because, oh, well, you've been around longest, you've been patient long enough, so therefore you are the most spiritually mature. But it doesn't always work that way. You can have people that have only been walking with the Lord for a, a few years, and they're light years ahead of people that have been walking with, people, with the Lord for decades. Right? 
It's not only patiently waiting, but patience is important. If a farmer has a field and he doesn't work the field, he doesn't plant the field, he doesn't tend to the field, you know what? He's not going to get a harvest out of the field. He can have a, a back lot somewhere on his farm that says, yeah, that's, that's my farm. I'm just waiting for it to do something. Uh, hopefully it's going to grow. Maybe, I, I don't know, I think I'd like it to grow corn. So I just, I'm just wait, and eventually, if I see some corn, great. No, that's not, that's not how it works, right? It might naturally grow some weeds, or even some leftover crop that had once been planted there, but it won't yield the harvest that the farmer is after. And spiritual growth and maturity also requires some hard work. So I'm not telling you, hey, just sit on your couch and wait for God to grow you to spiritual growth, spiritual maturity. It's not the way it works. It also requires hard work. And that work is what we call spiritual practices. All right? It, it's, it's spiritual practice. If spiritual growth, if your spiritual growth is happening at a slower pace than you want, and I know that I, there's many times in my life where I felt that way. Like, I should be over this by now. I should have moved on. <laughs> if that's happening, take a look at what your spiritual practices are. And, and, and see what needs to change. My wife is a teacher, some of you may know. And with the students that she works with, uh, there's a, a broad spectrum of skills and abilities that have been acquired by those students, right? So just because they're all in fourth grade or whatever it is, doesn't mean that all fourth graders have the same level of education behind them. Some of them may be really good at math. Others might be really good at reading. Some might not even be able to read or not be able to do any of this, right? What, what happens as a teacher when, when she looks at this student, what she's trying to do is trying to take an assessment and figure out, okay, where is this student at? And now what can I do to help this student grow? What can I give this particular student to understand this area that they don't get, that they need help in? And so then it's custom tailored to say this is, the, the thing that this student needs to help them grow in their division or whatever it is, right? We target the areas that need growth and we provide practice for that. That's how it works. If you're into sports with athletes, coaches are looking at a, a, a particular athlete and say, okay, you've got this part really good in your game, but this part right here still needs some work. Here's some exercises, here's some practice for you to focus on to improve this area of your game. It's the same thing in our spiritual lives. Here, here's an example. Maybe, maybe you're at the spot where you're like, I haven't heard God, I haven't heard his voice speaking to me ever or in a while. Well, guess what? We have spiritual practices to help with that. Maybe shut off the noise. Take your phone away from yourself for a day and all the other stuff and, and use the spiritual practice of silence and solitude and get in a quiet place with God and say, Lord, I'm here. I'm listening. Will you speak to me? All right, that's a spiritual practice. Maybe, maybe you aren't sure how to handle a situation in your life. And you're like, I don't know what to do. Well, dive into scripture and prayer. Maybe the word of God has an answer for you. But if you've not ever looked into it or read it or know what it has to say, you won't have that answer. Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed with just sadness and sorrow. This is kind of a, a, a counterintuitive uh, spiritual practice to go along with that. But you know what you can do there? 
you can choose to praise and glorify God in an act of worship. That's, you don't feel like it. That's the last thing that you usually want to do. But it's amazing how sometimes when we praise God, when we feel lousy, how we are lifted in that process. That is another spiritual practice, worship. Recognize that money has control over your heart. Okay, well then practice generosity and sacrifice and give some of it away. This is again another spiritual practice that can help us grow spiritually. Maybe you're just struggling to control your impulses. Try fasting from food for a period of time. All right, so there's these different practices and things that, that work with this in this process. Now, we know that God is at work in our lives. Uh, Philippians 1.6 says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, that's Jesus, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And spiritual practices help us cooperate with the work that he's already doing. Am I saying that spiritual practices are going to save you? No. We know that salvation comes as a free gift from God. But spiritual growth is what we're talking about here. And, and spiritual growth is available to all Christians, but not all Christians experience spiritual maturity. But we can cooperate with the, him in the work that he is doing. That's why Galatians 6.9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. It's that same farm analogy. Now, next what we see here in James is we see the purpose of this patient laboring. It's the outcome that we look for. Look at uh, verse 8 as it continues there. After he says, be patient, he says, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. To establish is to set up, a uh, dictionary again for you, to set up on a firm or permanent basis. All right, if something's established, it's set up in such a way that it's going to last. It's firm. It's in place. The reason that God calls us to patiently follow him is right there. It's because he wants our hearts to be established. This is where James goes with this. He says, you be patient. And when you're being patient, the outcome is that your heart is going to be established. Now, you may not understand how important that actually is, but think about this. Our hearts don't naturally start that way. Firm foundation. Think about even the way we describe hearts, the adjectives that we use when we talk about a heart. We can talk about a heart melting, a heart being broken, a heart being torn in two, heartbreak, right? Hearts are fragile. They melt, they break. That's how we describe them. If we talk about a hard heart, it's like, oh, something's wrong with them. Like, that's not how it's supposed to be either. But what James describes is an established heart. And an established heart is one that doesn't move, that is solid and secure and at peace. And isn't that what most of us want? We want our hearts to be established in such a way that nothing can take our peace Nothing can rattle us. All of the curveballs of life, and we know that they are everywhere, those things don't knock us off track and tear us down. Instead, we have hearts that are rooted and grounded in the anchor of our souls, Jesus. 
And he says, this is what happens as you're patiently growing in these ways and working in these ways. Your heart will be established. And he says there, establish your hearts because the Lord, the coming of the Lord is at hand. Guys, Jesus will return. The Bible tells us that very clearly in many, many places. Jesus is coming back. We don't know what that day is. We don't know exactly what that's all going to be like, but Jesus will return. And that doesn't have to scare you. Instead, it's meant to give us a healthy perspective and a way to truly live each day with the worth and the value that it deserves. But that knowledge also is to change our attitude for every day. Listen to Psalm 37. It says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Do you hear this same echo? It says, be patient. Jesus is coming back. Yes, there's a lot of terrible things that happen in this world. There's a lot of bad things that are going to happen to you and the people you love. But he says, be wait, just wait, be patient, because the Lord will return. And James and, and probably all the early Christians expected Jesus to return in their lifetimes or at least very, very shortly after. I don't think any of them expected Jesus to not return for thousands of years. I, I think if we were back there with them talking with the disciples, they'd be like, wait, what a minute. Wait, you're from 2000, what? <laughs> There's no way. I, I know. But whether or not Jesus waits for thousands of years more, or our time on this earth is either short or shorter. Okay? I think about that. At, at most, I see, I see one little person in this room that's small enough to be held by their mom right now. <laughs> All right, and, and so for even them, the youngest among us, the youngest among us may have, I don't know, 80 or so years left. And all the rest of us, we don't have that many probably. <laughs> right? So no matter how long or short you live, the, the truth is we don't have a lot of time. But the Bible teaches us that the reason that Jesus has not yet returned is precisely because of his patience. So not only are we called to be patient, it's part of the reason that we're called that way is because we're reflecting Jesus who is also patient. Listen to 2 Peter 3, 8, 9. It says, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. He's outside of time and space. Okay. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And God wants us to be like him. He wants us to be patient and established. That's the thing that God's calling you to this morning. He says, I want you to be patient. I want you to grow in this patience. But I want you to be established in that. And the fruit of that patience in your life allows you to build on the foundation that has already been laid by Jesus in your life. Be patient and established. Because when those things aren't in place, our actions show it. And that's how James finishes this section back in James 5, verse 9. Because when we're not patient and we're not established, guess what happens? Here, here he, he mentions it. Verse 9. 
He says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. When we get impatient and our hearts are unsettled, we worry and we complain and we grumble. We grumble. And yeah, there's a lot to grumble about in this life. Okay? There is. Unfortunately, some people have made it their lifestyle to grumble. (laughs) All they do is grumble and complain. But is that really the person you want to be? Does that really reflect, is that a, a representation of a soul that has been washed clean by the blood of Jesus? Saved for eternity, filled with the Holy Spirit, and given an inheritance as a child of God? Is that really what a, a, a Christian should actually look like? Grumbling their way through this life? I don't think so. And he says the judge is paying attention to our actions in this life. And what he's referring to here is he says, and let him worry about the others. Yeah, there's a lot to grumble about. There's a lot to complain about. You could gripe about all kinds of things all day long, every day, and not cover it all. But what he says is, you know what? There's a judge, the big guy, and he's taking care of that part. Don't you worry about it. You worry about you. There's a story at the end of the Gospel of John that is pretty interesting. If you remember the story of Peter, the Apostle Peter, we looked at this um, when we studied the letters of Peter. Um, if, if, you, if you remember the story on the, the, the last night when, when Jesus was arrested and ended up going to the cross, one of the things that happened with Peter, who is one of Jesus' closest disciples, is Peter denied Christ. Right? Remember, he comes into the courtyard of the high priest there as they're, they're going to try Jesus for these made-up crimes. And as Peter's out there warming himself by the fire, these servants come up and challenge Peter and say, hey, you're one of those guys. You're with this Jesus that they're, they're dealing with, right? And Peter, what does he do? Jesus already told him this was going to happen, but it still happened anyway. Peter denies Christ. Not once, not twice, but three times. Which is exactly what Jesus told him, right? He said, I don't, know, I don't know that guy. I don't know anything about it. And he goes through this whole denial. And it wrecks Peter. He is heartbroken. He is so discouraged and full of guilt and shame that he denied Jesus. Only a few hours after saying to Jesus, I will die before I deny you. A few hours later, there he is. Doing exactly the thing he said he wouldn't do. And it wrecked Peter. And what's worse is... He couldn't even apologize to Jesus because from that point, Jesus went straight to the cross and died. Good part is, we also know that he resurrected from the the dead. And later, after Jesus had resurrected, in the end of John, in John chapter 21, Jesus appears to Peter and the other disciples and he takes Peter off to the side. And he has this conversation where he restores Peter. And he says, yes, Peter, I know you denied me those three times. Just like I said you would. And he goes through that whole dialogue and interchange with Peter. Remember, he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. But then Jesus says it again, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, yes, Lord, I just told you that, I do. And even worse, Jesus again, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. Yes, I really do. You denied me three times, I just reinstated you three times. I brought things back together. Now, that built Peter back up. But what Jesus also tells him at that moment is he says, but Peter, I need you to know the day is coming in your life where you're actually going to die for me. I know you didn't do it that night like you thought you would, but that day is coming. And this is the way it's going to be for you. This is the plight in life that you have. This is what I'm calling you to. 
And Peter's like, okay, I'm going to do this. But then as they're walking back to the rest of the disciples, he sees John, another disciple. And he says, well, what about that guy? All right, I, all right I'm supposed to do this, but what about him? Let me, let me read it to you. It says in John 21, 21, he says, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what's that to you? You follow me. What James is saying is the same thing here. He says, you be patient. You be established. You don't grumble and complain like everybody else. The Lord's returning. And what we want to say is, well, but, but, but there's all these other people that do this and there's all that going on. He says, no, you worry about you. You follow me and you let the rest of that be dealt with the way it needs to. And that's the same attitude that the people of God have always had to adopt. That's what the prophets had to do. What did the prophets decide? They just said, I'm going to follow God and I'm going to say whatever he tells me to say, no matter how hard and how awful and whatever comes from it. Uh, and then there's where James goes. Don't worry, we're almost wrapping up here. But in verse 10, he says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we considered those blessed who remained steadfast. They were established. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And you, you look at those guys, and, and James says, think about the prophets. And remember, he's writing to Jewish Christians. These, these Jews knew the stories of the Old Testament. They knew about the prophets. They knew what they had gone through. And he says, remember the prophets and all the things that they went through. Don't tell me about how you need to be grumbling and complaining. Think about a prophet. Think about what they went through. And that might seem prestigious. Oh, you're a prophet of God. That's amazing. But to be, in my personal opinion, I think it's got to be one of the worst jobs God ever gave anybody to be a prophet. I mean, take a look at some of the prophets. Jeremiah, he was known as the weeping prophet because all he had to do is tell bad prophecies to people. Basically just tell everybody, you're all going to burn. This is all a mess. Everything's, your kids are going to be kidnapped. Your cities are going to be destroyed. Your farms are going to be taken. It's just going to be bad. And he had to do that year after year after year. You think about Ezekiel. There's a story in Ezekiel where Ezekiel is told by God, I want you to lay down in front of all the people that walk by in the city on your side for a year, and I want you to cook your food in dung right there. Okay? This is the life of a prophet. All right? Hosea. Hosea was told, hey, I want you to marry this woman, and oh, by the way, she's going to cheat on you all the time, repeatedly. Marry her anyway, and take her back every time that she comes back to you. All right, that's another prophet for you. Isaiah was sawn in too. I mean, the prophets did not have a good uh, life in this life, but they had a closeness to God and great rewards for eternity. And that's what James says. He says, look, they were steadfast, they were established, they were patient, and they will be blessed. Job, he also refers to, Job remained faithful to God when his entire world was destroyed. He lost his wife, he lost his family, he lost his friends, he lost his health, he lost his wealth, he lost his influence, but he never lost God. He simply trusted and waited no matter what the outcome might be. Look, this life is hard. It's hard. And there are always going to be things that don't make sense and they're out of our control. 
But God calls us to peace and trust. And James reminds us, remember, he's compassionate and merciful. He loves you deeply. And our last verse here as we finish, verse 12, James says, But above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, a lot of people try to take this verse out of the context that we're in, but it is in this context, and you need to see it in this context. What he's saying is, look, I'm calling you to be patient. I'm calling you to be established. But there's going to be a lot of things that want to keep you from being patient and keep you from being established. And in fact, you're going to want to grumble about it, but don't grumble about it. And not only that, you're going to try to take things into your own hand. You're going to start swearing this and swearing that and taking an oath to this and that. And you're going to try to push God around and tell him, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. Will you do this? Will you do that? I'll do this. I'll promise that and I'll vow this. He says, no, don't do all that. You're just opening yourself up to trouble. Without an established heart and developed patience, we try to find loopholes and workarounds that can get us in all kinds of trouble. We'll say things and do things to try to create a solution, but that can open us up to condemnation, as he says there. But the patient person who has an established heart doesn't need to throw out all that stuff, all these oaths and threats. We patiently wait for God's timing. We don't try to push him around. We don't try to coerce him. We don't try to force our issues. Remember, as we finish here today, God has promised never to leave us or forsake us. I know it feels a little uneasy sometimes to say I'm going to trust the Lord in this, but he's always faithful. He loves us and he has a plan for us. So what do we learn here today as we finish? We're called to patiently wait, establish our hearts, and watch what God will do. Let's pray. God, I know that this is not um, the easiest thing to hear sometimes. But Lord, we are grateful for your love for us. And Lord, we want to be the people that you are calling us to be. And so Lord, today I pray that you would make us a patient church. People that truly trust you and wait upon you. People that have given up trying to take things into our own hands, to do it our own way, to figure it out on our own terms. Not lazy people that are sitting around waiting for you to move, but people that are pursuing you and seeking you that we might become the people that you're calling us to be. You call all of us to growth and fruitfulness, to spiritual maturity and health. And so Lord, I pray that you would do that in us. I know that, that my brothers and sisters here, I share with them that desire to be close to you and to know you and to follow you. But Lord, there are so many things that are tugging on us, that are pulling us down in so many ways. Help us, Lord, be patient. Help us lean into you. Help us establish our hearts so that we cannot be shaken. Lord, we want to be as, as the, the, the man that, that Jesus describes in the parable that, that built the house on the rock, not built on the sand where it can wobble and fall over. We want to be people that are established in you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would teach us how to do that, that you would build us and enable us to do that. 
and that you would strengthen our hearts. Lord, I also just want this morning to pray for those that, that I know are hurting today, for those that um, maybe even couldn't join us here for the service today that are sick. Lord, I pray that you, the God of all comfort, would come near to them, that you would strengthen, you would encourage, you would provide peace that passes understanding, peace that doesn't even make sense to us when we look at our circumstances, but peace that comes from your spirit comforting us and coming alongside of us. Heal, strengthen, build up, provide. Lord, be the God that we know you are. But may we see your hand at work in our lives today. Thank you for this time that we have. We pray that you would help us continue to grow and be the people that you call us to. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.